Isaiah 43. I'll be reading for our text this morning, verses 1 through 12. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sheba, in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, Peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God. Let us pray. Father, we ask for your guidance and help as we look into these words, your scripture, your promise, your comfort. Help us to see the true light that is here. That you are gracious and yet just. That you are righteous and yet a redeemer and merciful. Help us to see the gospel in the words to Old Testament Israel. In the name of our Lord we pray, amen. If you were ever charged with a crime and arrested... And I don't know, maybe some of you have been. But if you were ever charged with a crime and arrested and you find yourself in a courtroom primarily for an arraignment at first to see if there's enough evidence for a trial, you would be faced by a prosecuting attorney. You would probably have your own defense attorney. And then there would be the judge 
It's a very formal and orderly process, a very structured process, a very intimidating process. And for us, this earthly process, which we are very familiar with, is a little bit frightening because we all know that sometimes in this world, probably more often than sometimes in this world, our justice system is not as true and proper as it should be. Sometimes it's crooked. So as you're standing there in a courtroom, charges brought against you, you're wondering, I've not done anything wrong. They're going to find me not guilty quickly. There's no evidence. But then there is that moment when you think, is all of this trumped up? Is all of this false? Is all of this false accusations? Are they going to run me through the ringer? You don't really know in an earthly system. So whether you're guilty or whether you're innocent, you're standing before a judge, an earthly judge, in a very formal and intimidating process, there's got to be some anxiety, some fear. A lump in your throat, almost scared to death, not sure what's going to happen. Whenever you read the Old Testament Proverbs, there's a little bit of a tip. Most of, them, most of them are written in a pattern as though they were laid out as, a, laid out as an ancient lawsuit. Much like our justice system, or similar to our justice system. There's a judge who is God. There's a prosecuting attorney. Some might say it's the prophet, but it's God speaking through the prophet. There's a defense attorney, not formally, but if you look closely, the defense attorney is always God. Do we ever really have a defense? Outside of his mercy and grace, no. If we look at the ancient ancient Israelites, we see here a very clear example. I want to back up to Isaiah 42 for a few moments. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But when there is an arraignment, when there's charges brought against someone who was brought before a judge and accused of some crime or some sin or some wrong, was there enough evidence in Israel's case to prove them guilty? In Israel's case, there certainly was. The nation was already tried and the evidence presented by the time we get to Isaiah 42. And the judge presents his findings. Isaiah 42, beginning at verse 18. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. He's talking to the the accused, the guilty one. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? 
He sees many things, but does not observe them. He hears, his ears are open, but he does not hear. Anytime we're looking at Old Testament scripture, we want to get an interpretation for the original audience, and we want to get an application for the original audience, and then we can discern from that an implication for our day. In this case, God is talking to, through the prophet Isaiah, the whole nation of Israel. They have been given his light. They have been given his grace. They have been given his faithful provision. They have been given his protection. They have been given his blessing. But they have been so dull of hearing and blind to see any of it and understand So the guilty are standing before God, and God says, my witnesses, I've, I've called this one, this people, this land of Judah, these Israelites, as my witnesses. They had a mission to fulfill, and they failed. Verse 21 of Isaiah 42, the Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all, all of them, trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say restore. Here's God giving testimony of his judgment upon Israel. They had become so idolatrous that other nations were raised up around them to defeat them, to break them up take them into captivity, to scatter them throughout the known world. That's what's being described here, God's judgment upon their sin. The guilty stand before God, God declares judgment, and it continues as a righteous sentence or a verdict. Verse 23 of Isaiah 42, who among you will give ear to this? Who will attend and listen for the time to come? He's asking those who witness this, here's an example. Who's going to pay attention here? Verse 24, who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunders? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? In whose ways they would not walk and in whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around. God says here, I judged my people Israel, but he did not understand. It burned him up, and he did not take it to heart. There's an example of a stubborn heart. That's why he said they were deaf and would not hear a thing. They were blind and could not see a thing. God punished them, and they did not recognize his chastising hand. They were too proud. Proverbs 16.5, among many other places in Scripture, says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. If you've listened to my teaching for a very long time, you understand that Old Testament Israel's idolatry is almost mirrored quite a bit in the New Testament church. 
So when we see the interpretation for the Old Testament audience and we see the application for the Old Testament audience, Israel, God pointing out their sin and their rebellion and their idolatry and then calling them to repentance after punishment, that gives very clear implication for us. We need to pay close attention. But what's so amazing that this criminal Israel is so evidently guilty but still remains impenitent. It is amazing that the sinner is so evidently guilty they still remain impenitent. Nothing changes. They wonder, why in the world did this happen? What is even quadruply more amazing is that God still promises hope. God's love is clear for all to see as we move from Isaiah 42 into chapter 43. Let me peek back. We didn't go this far. Just a couple of verses. Isaiah 42, 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. The promise of new hope coming through the people of Israel. In the sixth verse of chapter 49. Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob? Excuse me. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant and raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. God is telling him, it's not enough that you have the gospel for yourself, for your own people. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is where Israel failed. You know, we keep hearing them talking about God's chosen people, how God's favored them, how God protected them. That's all true. But it was for a reason, it was for a purpose that the gospel would come through the people of Israel, principally through Christ Jesus. But the message, the covenants, the call, all comes through the teachings we find that were given to us through the Old Testament. As it was for the nation of Israel, so it is for the individual. As we understand it for Old Testament Israel, we must also make application for the New Testament church. We are called to be witnesses. We are called to demonstrate God's love clearly for all to see. So I want to look in our text this morning of Isaiah 43 and see a new creation, a new promise, a new gathering, and a new witness. Four things. Isaiah 43, 1. We just got through reading part of Isaiah 42. And it seemed so dark and discouraging that the people were being punished, they were being judged. But now, 
Thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Wonderful words of comfort. If you don't know any of the, of the other context of this book of Isaiah, these words will give you a lot of hope. God created them. God formed them. God redeemed them. And my brother and sister, if you trust in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you have that fulfillment, fulfillment already in your life. He has created you. He has formed you, and he has redeemed you. And he has called you by name. Even though you're full of sin. Even though your life in the past has been dark and clouded and very often rebellious. Even though you once were an unbeliever. He has made you and chosen you to be his. That is a wonderful grace. And that is a wonderful promise. And that is a wonderful hope. Are you secure in his promise? Or is sin present? Is there some fear and anxiety in your life because you haven't found victory that you thought you would have by now. What is the source of your insecurity? Are there certain things that you protect and keep private, quiet to yourself? That's going to make you spiritually insecure. That's going to lead you astray. That's going to blind your eyes to the truths that God has. That's going to keep you from victory. Please leave it. Repent. Take the example that we find in Israel. How God chastised them and punished them. Leave your sin behind. And embrace your Lord and Savior. 1 John 3, no one abides in him. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him if you continue in sin that is just a testimony that you're not his we all sin but the deliberate sin the private sin the protected sin is evidence something is not right please leave it If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate we have a defense attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. There is a lot of grace in those words. There are a lot of hope and wisdom in those, that counsel. If you know that you are a sinner and you've confessed your sins before him and if you've received him as your savior knowing that in your own self or in Dave Kinney's self I can do nothing to atone for the rot that is in my heart. I must look to him and him alone and plead his blood to cleanse me and to redeem me. And with repentance, I know that he becomes mine. Isaiah 49, 60, behold, the prophet says, the Lord, the Lord through the prophet speaks, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. He knows you by name. Second Timothy 2.19, God's firm foundation stands bearing his, this seal. Here Paul, writing to Timothy, quotes another prophet. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who knows the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. The Lord knows who are his. He knows you. So, you are a new creation in Christ. There is a new promise. Verse 2 of Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Sheba, Ethiopia, in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return from you, peoples in exchange for your life. God chooses his people, his chosen, instead of others. That's a bit of controversy we don't have time to deal with today but to know that you are chosen by him, for him, ought to be a wonderful assurance of security that once you are his, he will not let you go. He will not forget you. The prophet here is borrowing from stories in scripture. He's saying, Remember the time when Israel passed through the Red Sea? When you pass through the waters, I will, not, I will be with you. Do you remember the time when we crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land? And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. He's borrowing from Israel's history, the times when the Lord delivered them. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Do you remember when the Lord rained down hail and fire upon Egypt, and it did not even bother his chosen people? 
saying, do you remember that? God will not forget you. New creation, a new promise of God's deliverance, of his protection, of his redemption. And also a new gathering, verse 5. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. In the context of ancient Israel, during the days of the prophet Isaiah, the nation of Israel had been conquered. They had been taken captive. They had been scattered beyond the borders of the promised land into Babylon and Assyria and Egypt and Ethiopia. In verses 5 through 7, which we just read, it sounds like God promises to bring them all home again. Back to the real estate of Canaan. And there are a lot of evangelical Christians today who say, well, let's get everybody back into Israel. Let's get them all back to Jerusalem. I'm not quite so sure that's the way the prophecy is supposed to be fulfilled. First of all, it's not talking about all of those who were born Hebrew. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul wrote to that church then, Know then that it is, it is those, who, those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We take this scripture along with the passages in Isaiah that talk about the nations. God calling his people from all the ends of the earth. From all the, he's talking about the nations. In God's mind, they're already his. Even though most of them by then had never been born yet. Or excuse me, not been born yet. You, brother and sister, are a fulfillment of this prophecy. You're among the nations he has called, and he is gathering us all together. Revelation 7, verse 9, one of the visions that the the Apostle Love, the Apostle John wrote about, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne 
and to the Lamb. There's the fulfillment of the new gathering. I believe that the promised land for the New Testament church is not the real estate we call Israel. I believe it is eternity with him in glory. With every tribe, every tongue, every nation, multitudes that cannot be numbered. We are a new creation. We have been given a new promise. There is a new gathering promise that we anticipate. Can't wait to get there. And a new witness. Here's our call. Verse 8 of Isaiah 43. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. You remember back in Isaiah 42 when we began, it was reading about those who had eyes but could not see and ears but could not hear. Here it's reversed. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes and who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. These people who once were blind, now they see. Once they were deaf, now they hear. All the nations who are mine, who among them can declare this and show us the former things. Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say, it is true. Verse 10, you are my witnesses. God's glory is displayed in your life. The testimony of his grace and mercy is displayed in your life. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not created. He just is and always has been and always will be. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God. All of this hope, all of this promise represented here in what we were about to share. Christ, your Redeemer. A few moments ago we read from 1 John say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar his word is not in us he is 
my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Big theological word there. Come from the Greek, hilasterion. That might not mean anything to you. I've taught this before, but I'll teach it again. The Old Testament was primarily in its original manuscripts written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Hebrew for the Hebrew people. And when it was given to Moses and the people of Israel, and they were given instructions on the Ark of the Covenant. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go into all the details. It's, it's a wonderful, fascinating study. But the top, the lid to the Ark of the Covenant was in our language called the mercy seat. And it was placed in the Holy of Holies, that where, where it was kept. And when the priest would go in once a year on the Day of Atonement, crawling in on his hands and knees, putting, pushing the basin of sacrificial blood, not even allowed to look up at the Shekinah glory, the presence of the Lord, would dip his hand, his finger, seven times, just reach up and just drop it, drip it on the mercy seat. And once God saw the blood, his wrath was satisfied. Offering was accepted. Before the time of Christ, I'm having a senior moment, the ears escaped me about a century and a half before the time of Christ some scholars got together and translated the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek they called it the Septuagint 70 scholars did this that's why they called it the Septuagint but when they came to this teaching about the mercy seat in the Greek language they called the mercy seat hilasterion, propitiation, satisfaction. First John two two, he is the propitiation for our sins. That's why we celebrate this day. We have a new creation in Christ Jesus. We have a new promise. We have a new witness. And we, we, have, we look forward to a new gathering. So when we partake of this today, remember Christ gave himself so that God's wrath might be satisfied and you might be set free. You have come before the judge of the universe. Do you plead your own righteousness or do you appeal to the perfect, complete righteousness of the Lord Jesus? Let us pray.
Father, we are thankful for this day and for your word and its truth. And we ask this morning that as we celebrate this table, we may get a sense of your presence and your hope and your help. We ask this in the holy name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.